the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show, sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Portions of today's program may be pre recorded. Now we're getting somewhere. It finally happened in Alberta, Canada. It was a powerlifting tournament called the Heroes Classic. And a man won the women's competition, of course. He said he identified as a woman, and that was enough. Now, his name is Avi Silverberg. He has a full beard, no makeup, no dainty outfit. The guy's a moose, looks just like a weightlifter. He's also been the head coach for Team Canada Powerlifting for 10 years. So he decided to identify as a woman, and according to the stupid rules, all he had to do was declare his gender. So he said, I'm a female. And he immediately benched 370 pounds, and he set a new women's record. But here's the best part. He did it in front of a guy who goes by the name of Ann Andres. He also declared himself a woman about 10 years ago, and he has won eight out of nine uh, competitions in the last four years. He volunteered at, at this event. So he was only a few feet away when this guy, Silverberg, broke Andre's women's record by 100 pounds. So imagine what he did to the women's record. This guy's a guy, and he he had the record. So it's pretty obvious that Silverberg decided to make a mockery of the idiotic rules that say, by the way, quote, an individual should be able to participate in the gender with which they identify and not be subject to requirements for disclosure of personal information beyond those required of cisgender athletes, like, you know, maybe taking off your pants. I don't know, whatever they do to check you out, you know. Uh, It's hard to believe that it took this long for someone to do this. But the best part is Silverberg, who obviously was uh, sick of seeing a man set women's weightlifting records and sick of seeing a man winning all the competitions against women, he made no attempt to look like a woman. He just showed up, declared himself a woman, of course, he also made it impossible for any other women to win if he was going to, you know, bake records by 100 pounds. But we're not supposed to notice that. And one of these days, three or four high school boy basketball players should do what Silverberg did and make the idiots in charge prove that they don't really identify as girls. And they should go out for the girls' basketball team, and they should do it the way Silverberg did it, with no attempt to look, act, or, or sound like a girl, just be four guys going out for the girls' team. The fact that Silverberg had to do what he did to prove the point just proves how monumentally stupid it is to let males compete with and against females, and real female athletes everywhere should thank them. When we come back, John Lott, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center and author of More Guns, Less Crime, is going to be here to talk about the calls for more gun control after the shooting in Tennessee. And in our second half hour, we're going to talk baseball, believe it or not, with a guy who's written a book called Tales from the Dugout, 1,001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. We'll be right back. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free with promo code STAG. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square to get the buy one, get one free offer. Just when you thought MyPillow couldn't get any better, MyPillow 2.0 gives you the best pillow ever. Enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087 to get your 
ensure MyPillow 2.0s now. Spring cleaning is upon us, but there's one meaningful box that you don't throw away when cleaning out your closet. It's the box filled with your family's important videotapes, film reels, and photos. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako. We started Legacy Box over a decade ago to help families organize and update their analog media to digital. Legacy Box is simple and easy. It works and is safe. Over a million families have trusted Legacy Box. And Legacy Box has been featured in Good Housekeeping, The Today Show, and Rachel Ray. Legacy Box is like magic, converting your shoebox of memories to the cloud or thumb drive, ready to watch and share. Declutter your closet by digitizing your media. Become more organized and accomplished, knowing your family's recorded past is safe forever. Take advantage of our spring cleaning sale going on now. It's the easiest task to check off your to-do list. For a limited time, you can get started for just $9 a tape. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to get our $9 sale. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to get our $9 offer. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. Hi, I'm Olivia, and I'm 11. Some people my age might think water in a basement's pretty cool. Who wouldn't want an indoor swimming pool? But my dad taught me a thing or two about homes. You mean all those times I talked about waterproofing. You were actually listening? Absolutely. I'm like Alexa. Okay, so how does JD Waterproofing protect your home? By keeping water out of the basement so it doesn't compromise the structure of your home. And? By not giving yucky mold and mildew a place to grow. Pretty good. Dad, I wasn't finished. Oh, sorry. And JD Waterproofing can save you money. Do tell. By saving you from having to replace your basement appliances from water damage. I couldn't have said it better myself. Got water problems? Don't cry. Call 1-800-VERY-DRY. J&D Waterproofing. 1-800-VERY-DRY. The word is out. People are abandoning their overpriced wireless carriers and flocking to Pure Talk for the same 5G coverage, but at a fraction of the price. In fact, the average family saves over $800 a year when switching from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. And switching is so easy. You can keep your phone, keep your number, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Right now, you can get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. Or if you still want unlimited data... You can get that and still save a fortune. So make the switch and get the same coverage as the big guys, but at half the price. Go to puretalk.com, type in your address to find the coverage at your home, then enter promo code half off, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code half off. Switch to Pure Talk and get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month because Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. This is the John Stacker Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Now, the cops in Nashville who showed up within 14 minutes to take out the shooter who killed three kids and three adults at a Christian school are getting a lot of praise, as they should. But the killer was able to do a lot of damage in those 14 minutes. Uh, could there have been less damage if some teachers had been armed? John Lott is the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. He's also the author of More Guns, Less Crime, and he joins us now. John, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you again. So the school was a uh, gun-free zone. What are the chances the shooter knew that and knew she could kill lots of people before anybody's going to stop her? Well, it seems for certain that the killer knew that. The police chief announced the other day after they had been reading through this murderer's manifesto that you have yet another person who picked their target because it wasn't it didn't have people to defend it. Apparently her first choice was another target, which hasn't been named yet, but another target uh, that she had checked out and they had armed people there. And so she had skipped that and gone to this, this next target that she had. I mean, this is something we see over and over again. The mainstream media, the, you won't find anything about her skipping the first target in the New York Times or the Washington Post or ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, MSNBC, even Fox. Uh, you know, you won't see that anyplace. And it, this happens all the time. I mean, people go to our website. I've been writing about this for years. I've been talking about and quoting these guys for years. Look at the Buffalo mass. I'm really tired of doing this because the media just, if you care about why people are doing these attacks, don't you think it's relevant for once in a while the media to mention 
just once in a while why they picked the target that they did? Look at the Buffalo mass murderer last year. He has a, a long discussion in his manifesto about why he picked the target that he did. What's his reason at the top? He wanted to go to a place where he knew his victims wouldn't have permitted concealed handguns to protect themselves because he was worried that that would make it too difficult for him to kill people. Anybody who's read, I mean, the media reports supposedly on these diaries and manifestos, and they just lie constantly. This is not the normal language you know that I use when I do it, but I'm just sick and tired of this. So the New York Times has, you know, a a half dozen uh, editorials and a half dozen news articles this last year about the Buffalo mass murder. What do they describe him as? They describe him as a right-wing conservative racist. Well, he was a racist, but he was a racist because he was a nutty environmentalist who was upset with minorities because they supposedly had too many kids and that having more kids damaged the environment. He called himself a socialist. He called himself an eco-terrorist. Do you have a lot of conservative friends who call themselves socialists and eco-terrorists? who go and are upset about people having too many kids and hate minorities because they think they have too many kids. I don't know any conservatives like that, but you have AOC talking about whether people should have any kids. You have Biden talking about it being an existential threat because of global warming and damage being done to the environment. I'm not blaming them. I'm just blaming the media here for how they cover these stories. And if you read if you read the Buffalo Killers Manifesto, like many others, he says why he picked the target. He wanted to go to a place where he knew victims weren't going to be able to defend themselves. His ideal targets were places with heavy gun control. You know, I mean, why, why won't the media report this? Why won't, why won't the mainstream media ever mention this? Isn't, if we care about stopping these attacks... Can't we once in a while look to see what these killers themselves say for why they picked the target? Well, why isn't that newsworthy? Are you in a position where you were? Uh, you seem like uh, you're a little bit fired up here today because you've been watching the media and the aftermath of this thing, and it's one more time that the same thing is happening. This isn't the first time you've seen this, as you said. I've been saying this for 20 years. I've been reading. I have to read these diaries and manifestos for these killers. I read them time after time. I put out posts. I try to talk to people like you about this type of stuff. Nobody needs to take my word for it. We have them right up on our website, as we always do, putting out there, putting the quotes out there. Some of the times when I put out these quotes, you know, in the past, Facebook or Twitter would close down my accounts when I put them out because they say you shouldn't be quoting from these manifestos. Of course, the media can do it because they do it selectively on this stuff, but nobody needs to take my word for this type of stuff. I just, I just, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of having to say the same thing over and over again and only having a fraction of the people hearing what I'm saying on this stuff. Yeah, well, um, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the cops have her manifesto, and uh, they've mentioned some things that they found in there. Uh, do you suppose that the fact that they don't want to make it public is uh, because of just what you're saying? They know what it says in there about... Skip- well, he's, already, he's already said the main point there. The only thing I've seen as far as releasing it is, this, is that there are people in the LGBTQX, whatever it is, community uh, who are asking the police not to release the manifesto because they are concerned that it will create hate against uh, you know, transgender and other people. Uh, you know, so who knows? All I can say is if they think that the person's a conservative, which they're usually not, uh, they have no problem releasing selective portions of manifestos. And I, and, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's just amazing to me um, how this stuff gets distorted in the media. And it's not surprising to me lots of people are pushing for gun control because they're not being told the whole story here on this stuff. Yeah, and um, well, I got a question for you though. It's that I wonder about um, 
and I know you're not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but I, I think what they do have uh, on this uh, woman is that she told her friend she knew she was going to die that day. So it, it no, was. She apparently sent a, 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 a text message or something a half hour. Maybe it was an email. I can't remember. Yeah. A half hour before the attack, saying that uh, basically indicating she was going to commit suicide, and also indicating that the next thing she would probably hear about her would be on the news. Yeah, but what I'm saying, John, is that it's it's a kind of a um, a, um, a suicide by cop. So she knew that the school wasn't armed. So it's a case of look. I know I'm going to eventually get killed doing this. The cops are going to come, but. She got 14 minutes worth of uh, shooting to do, and she killed six people. So that it's kind of the they know that they're going to be shot, but they know in an area that's that's uh, a gun-free zone that they're going to get a lot of work done before they get shot. Look, I mean, who knows whether she was planning on eventually killing herself? What I will say is that 75 percent of the time that these mass public shootings occur, the killers themselves die at the scene. Okay, either by suicide by cop or by killing themselves. Some of the times they just can't bring themselves to actually go and kill themselves at the end. But, you know, who knows what, what, the, what, 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 what was in the person's mind. All I know is that this person thought that they were going to die. They did die. And she picks targets. Look, 14 minutes is a huge amount of time. And we're lucky only six people died. During that, am yeah. I glad that the police, when they finally got there, uh, rushed in? Hesitate? Yeah, I wish the police in Uvalde had done the same thing. But the point is, if somebody look, anybody who reads the diaries and manifestos knows that these mass murders, their goal is to get media attention over and over and over and over again. They say their goal is to get media attention. They'll say things like, if I can only kill more people than such and such did, I can get more media attention. And uh, the thing is... They get it, too. They, they, they know that the more people they kill, the more media attention that they're going to get. And they know that if they go to a place where people can't defend themselves, they'll be able to kill more people. So it's not rocket science. Now, I'm not going out there and arguing, no matter how irresponsible the media is, that we need to get rid of the First Amendment, okay? I'm not going to say that we should ban them from being able to go and mention these people's names. What I am saying is that by knowing what their motives are and why they do what they do, we can use that to help stop these attacks. And what you have to do is to get somebody there quickly with a gun and Look, we have like 600,000 police in the country, all right? There's no way, and, and maybe 200,000, 250,000 of them are on duty at any point in time. We have 340 million people. There's no way police are going to be able to cover all possible targets that are there. The other problem that you have is that the police are usually in uniform. And the problem is, is that, that gives these attackers huge strategic advantages. If you put one police officer in a place to guard it and he's in uniform, the attackers can either wait for the person to leave the area before they attack or the attackers can move on to another target themselves or they can go and kill uh, the person themselves and go and, uh, uh, you know, who do you think they're going to kill first? If you think... This person in uniform is the only person with a gun, and they know that once they kill them, they're going to have free reign. Who do you think they go after first? Mm -hmm. What's the record, uh, John, for schools with armed teachers? There hasn't been a single attack where anybody's been wounded or killed at any of those schools. Not uh, one. I saw somewhere that West Virginia has armed teachers, and there's been no, no, uh, no, no school shooting there. Um, and that's right down the road from there are 20 states that have K-12 through schools where teachers and staff are able to be armed. Uh, it varies the number of uh, schools in each state. If you're in Utah uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and New Hampshire, 
any teacher with a permanent concealed handgun uh, is able to go and do and carry a gun at school there. Uh, but you have 18 other states also, and you literally have thousands of schools that have armed teachers. And, uh, and there has not been one single attack where anybody's been wounded or killed at any of those schools. We're talking to John Lott. He's president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Where can they find your website, uh, website John? It's crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. Okay. Uh, now, the reaction from liberals in government and the media uh, have, has been predictable here in the last few days. Is there anything about this event in Nashville that supports any of their arguments that, that you could be the devil's advocate and agree with them on? Uh, well, I mean, I want to do something that matters. So, you know, they go and talk about assault weapons ban. Mm-hmm. I want somebody to explain to me why banning guns that are functionally identical to other guns that, they're, that are out there would have any impact. About 85% of the guns in the United States are semi-automatics. They, they talk about AR-15s. Biden talks about the bullets from AR-15s traveling five times faster than any other yeah. bullet from a gun. You know, is the guy, does he know anything about this stuff? I mean, do, I mean, the AR-15 is, is identical in terms of how it functions to uh, a, a small caliber semi-automatic hunting rifle. Firing the same bullets with the same rapidity, doing the same damage. You know, so it may look like a military weapon, but even the Associated Press says it's a political statement and not, you know, and 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 useless uh, for any practical purposes. No militaries around the world that use these weapons, despite uh, the Democrats constantly calling these weapons of war. Look at. Look, the other thing, they want to go and have background checks on the private transfers of guns. I want somebody in the press to ask, okay, would it have stopped this last attack? No. Is there any mass public shooting this century, even if these laws had been in effect and perfectly enforced, that they would have stopped? No. So why are they allowed to keep calling for this stuff when it has absolutely nothing to do with stopping any of these attacks. You have people calling for red flag laws after this attack. Well, what they don't seem to know are what the existing laws are. Every state has involuntary commitment laws. Pennsylvania has it, every other state. What happens is, is that if you're concerned that somebody's a danger to themselves or others, and this is true in Tennessee, you call up the police, the police come out, if the police think that there's a reasonable chance, which basically means about 20% chance, that the person is a danger to themselves or others, the police will take them in for a mental health care evaluation. Uh, in most states, it's from 24 to 72 hour hold. And if the mental health care experts believe that there is a reasonable chance that the person is in fact a danger to themselves or others, there'll be an immediate hearing if you can't afford a lawyer, what is provided for you? The evidence will be examined. And if the judge thinks that there's a likely chance, which means basically over 50%, that you are, in fact, a danger to yourself or others, the judge has a wide range of options. They can go and uh, say, if you voluntarily go see a mental health care expert, we'll re- we will reevaluate it in a week or two, have another hearing. They could take away the person's driver's license. They could take away the person's guns. They could go, in the most extreme case, involuntarily commit the person. There's many other options that they have. But they didn't do that in Tennessee. Well, it's the same standard for starting it as it is for red flag. The only thing that you do with red flag is take away a person's guns. It's not a serious solution. 99% of the time that red flag laws are used, they're used for concerns about suicide. There's hey, no other way for somebody to commit suicide? Hey, John, I'm out of yeah. time. Um, I'm glad you got a chance to do it. I know you're, uh, you're getting tired of saying it, but when you, uh, you need to keep saying it, and eventually maybe somebody will listen to this stuff. I hope they do. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. Appreciate your time. People can find more at our website at crimeresearch.org. Thank, thank you. you. John Lott. We'll be right back.
With SRN News, I'm John Scott. The economy is growing slightly slower than the government's previous estimate. Commerce Department finds the U.S. economy grew at a rate of 2.6% in the final estimate for the fourth quarter of last year. That's a slight downgrade from previously because of revisions with weakening consumer spending and exports. That puts 2022's annual GDP at 2.1%, down from the 5.9% the U.S. enjoyed in 2021 during the pandemic recovery boom. Despite a robust jobs market, most economists say growth is slowing as rising interest rates makes borrowing more expensive and consumers reduce spending on categories that were popular during the lockdowns like appliances and furniture. Jennifer King, Washington. Applications for jobless benefits rose last week but remain at historically low levels. Claims rose by 7,000 to 198,000 from the previous week. That's according to the Labor Department. This is SRN News. Tens of thousands affected by the toxic water at Camp Lejeune are left with death, cancer, Parkinson's, dementia, birth defects, and other serious illnesses. And along with the harm, so many worries. My family drank the Camp Lejeune water. What if our health gets worse and we need more financial help? How do I protect my VA benefits and get the compensation I deserve and need? The answer is simple. Call James Harris Law, the experienced, trusted law firm that can get you significant compensation while protecting all your VA benefits. We're already fighting for hundreds of Marines, families, and civilians who drank Camp Lejeune water. But if you miss the deadline, you could forever lose your right to the justice you deserve. So call our Camp Lejeune legal helpline now. Now may be your last chance to receive full compensation. Don't delay. Call 800-320-7171. 1250 Hey, John Steigerwald here for Johnny and Jesse Samick, my friends over at Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. When disaster strikes your home or business, demand the yellow van. Fire, water, or mold, Service Master's technicians are trained and equipped to get you back to normal fast. Even when dealing with insurance, you have a choice who repairs and cleans up the mess. Make sure you demand the yellow van. Call Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Service Master. My son Finn was born with congenital heart disease. He ended up spending about the first eight months of his life in the hospital. During that time, he endured 10 surgeries, including an open heart surgery. Starlight Children's Foundation has played an important role in my family's life. For five weeks when he was a baby, Finn lived in a Starlight Hero wagon. You could not understand the pure joy of having him go from a hospital bed into his favorite red wagon. Starlight doesn't just give items that hospitalized kids can use to keep themselves happy, but also memories, moments, and experiences which are so needed in times like these. They allow sick kids to just be kids for a little while. The support that Starlight provides to families like mine is an integral part to creating happiness at a time when there's very little to be found. Learn more about how Starlight Children's Foundation brightens the lives of sick kids by visiting starlight.org today. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. AM 1250. The answer. Weather. Increasing cloudiness tonight, a shower in spots late, low 36. Tomorrow, breezy with periods of rain from late morning on, high 55. Windy and mild tomorrow night, periods of rain and a thunderstorm, low 51. Winds gusting past 45 miles per hour Saturday with some sunshine, then turning cloudy. A shower in the area in the morning, then a heavy gusty thunderstorm in the afternoon, the high 62. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. Hi, I'm Olivia, and I'm 11. Some people my age might think water in a basement's pretty cool. Who wouldn't want an indoor swimming pool? But my dad taught me a thing or two about homes. You mean all those times I talked about waterproofing. You were actually listening? Absolutely. I'm like Alexa. 
Okay, so how does JD Waterproofing protect your home? By keeping water out of the basement so it doesn't compromise the structure of your home. And? By not giving yucky mold and mildew a place to grow. Pretty good. Dad, I wasn't finished. Oh, sorry. And JD Waterproofing can save you money. Do tell. By saving you from having to replace your basement appliances from water damage. I couldn't have said it better myself. Got water problems? Don't cry. Call 1 800 Very Dry. JD Waterproofing. 1 800 Very Dry. The word is out. People are abandoning their overpriced wireless carriers and flocking to Pure Talk for the same 5G coverage, but at a fraction of the price. In fact, the average family saves over $800 a year when switching from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. And switching is so easy. You can keep your phone, keep your number, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Right now, you can get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. Or if you still want unlimited data, you can get that and still save a fortune. So make the switch and get the same coverage as the big guys, but at half the price. Go to puretalk.com, type in your address to find the coverage at your home, then enter promo code half off, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code half off. Switch to Pure Talk and get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month because Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, baseball used to be my favorite sport, and um, I covered sports for 40 years, and opening day used to be my favorite day of the year in sports. That changed a long time ago. And I started out wanting to be a baseball announcer, and I spent three years in my mid-20s uh, riding buses in three different minor leagues, and I never had any more fun in my career than I did when I was doing those games. I never made any money, but I had a lot of fun. I saw a lot of crazy things. Well, Tim Haggerty is a minor league baseball announcer now. He's the author of Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. And he joins us now. Tim, thanks for coming on. Thank you, John. So um, you, uh, I called games uh, in El Paso which is where, you're, where you are now, uh, way back in the 70s. And when I called you yesterday when I discovered your book online, I asked you if the uh, El Paso Diablos, which was the name of the team back then, if their PA announcer made the book, and you told me he did. Yes, that's right. As you experienced, Paul Strelzin was quite a character. He didn't do the typical things like just announce the batters. He would actually make comments right there on the microphone. He would criticize umpires. He'd yell at opposing players. Um, and in May of 1988, he got ejected because he played the song, When Will I Be Loved? After a manager was arguing with the umpire, the umpire had turned around, faced the press box, and ejected him. And by the way, later in that same game, there was a fan who was ejected who threw an ice cream at the umpire. So, John, if you're at a ball car, Mark, uh, do not throw ice cream at the ump. No, not good. So uh, this guy, I told the story, I had to do it kind of quickly at the end of the show yesterday. This was, he didn't get ejected, and he was still doing this like, almost, I guess, uh, 12 or 13 years after I saw him. And um, when I was uh, doing the games, I was working for the Lafayette Drillers of the Texas League, and um, we were in El Paso for a series. One of the things he did was the... Um, the uh, trainer for the drillers was a guy named Ducky Crandall. He was a little bit overweight, and um, he, for some reason he had to go out to the mound to, to, visit, to talk to the pitcher, to the uh, Lafayette pitcher. And this PA announcer said, well, there's Ducky Crandall, the uh, trainer for the Lafayette drillers. He keeps all of his equipment under his shirt. That's what he said. <laughs> he walked out the, I, I mean, I loved it. So then he says to me, and then he says, I want to welcome. Uh, we want to welcome the, uh, the the Drillers radio team. Uh, John Steigerwald's doing the game back to K. I forget what the station was actually. He said, uh, "Welcome in." I was the, the press box then was down in the stands, almost in the stands. It was right at the back of the stands behind home plate, and so I was kind of like in the crowd. And there was some um, polite applause, and people turned around and looked at me and smiled, and it was nice. And then he waits about thirty seconds, and he says, "By the way, John." Uh, we called your home, and uh, a man answered. <laughs> that's that's what he said. So he uh, he was a wild man, and so that was that. And you got a thousand and one stories like this. 
Uh, and then where, how, how far back did you go, Tim? goes all the way back to the 1880s. That's actually what started this project. In 2012, I was researching something else, and I came across this newspaper article of a Texas League game in Austin that got delayed when a wild bull ran on the field. And I thought, well, I've never heard this story, so the odds are most fans haven't either. And uh, over the past decade, just from the past and the present, collected the craziest minor league stories. Um, what happened with the bull? So the bull reportedly kicked up some dirt. Fans are shrieking. He busted part of the fence, and they decided to obviously cancel the game. I don't know why there was a wild bull that close to the ballpark, but this was the 1880s. Right, right. It was a wild time. Um, but the book also has a lot of illustrations on crazy events like this. Well, um, and the name of the book is Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. And I can tell you, I, I, I just learned of the book yesterday, so obviously I didn't get a chance to read it, but having spent three years doing it myself, I know that if somebody did what you did, Tim, and go back as far as you did and spend as much time on it, you have some great stories in there. So why don't you just give us some of your greatest hits from the book? Yeah, in preparation of being on your show, I grabbed a couple of Pennsylvania stories. Okay. Uh, in 1915, there was a Class D team in They had this ballpark, Nixon Field, and there was no fence. And cars would park right there behind the outfielders. And when a batted ball was hit under these cars... The ball was still in play, so there are actually times in a professional baseball game in Gettysburg that outfielders would have to crawl under cars to get the ball. You would think that somebody would say, you know, how about a fence, or exactly. maybe we shouldn't let the cars park back there, or we should have a ground rule. If it goes under a car, it's a double or something. Exactly. Um, but yeah, John, we mentioned the 1800s. Let's go to Scranton. In 1886, Scranton's manager, Dan O'Leary, bet his entire team's monthly payroll on a game. He told the team about it, and they went to bat motivated, won the game 20-6, to six, and spent their winnings that night at the saloon. <laughs> so that, that's a, that sounds like a typical minor league baseball story. What, how, did, how did that story get out, and how did you find that story? Where, where was that recorded? There's a lot of great sources. Uh, there's online newspaper archives, which is great. Dan O'Leary, this guy was a real character. I believe he ended up managing the major leagues in Cincinnati. So a lot of it would be you're reading about a certain player, and they mention a story from his minor league days. I also went to the Baseball Hall of Fame library in Cooperstown. They have tremendous archives there. And there was also these Spalding and Reach Guides, an annual publication that would list who finished first, also league leaders. But they did also have some crazy stories like this. So flipping through those was a great amount of fun. Yeah, I uh, just to give you another example of, of when I was doing the games and what the kind of life that you lead in the minor leagues, I was doing games for the Charleston Charlies in Charleston, West Virginia, and we had a cheap uh, – Some I didn't know that much about it, but the, our radio equipment was pretty cheap. We were across the street from the hospital, and I would be doing the game – and uh, in my headset, and I'm pretty sure it was being heard on the radio, I'm hearing, Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, please report. <laughs> that was going out onto the, that was going out on the radio, and nobody did anything about it. You know, I had to sit there every night and do the games, and I just waited. At, at some point, I knew some doctor was going to be paged while I was describing a play, you know. So and that, that, that's just one city, and, and, you know, there are 8,000 different places where minor league baseball is played. It's just a. It's really a. It's a. It's a. It's you could just throw a dart and and hit some kind of a crazy story, right? You're exactly right. I mean, that to me was part of the inspiration for this book. There have been so many leagues. Pretty much every city, big and small in the country, at some point has had a minor league baseball team. So there is just so many total games. That's the nature of baseball. Uh, as your listeners know, the Pirates, they're playing 162 games, by right. far the most out of any major sport. So with so many different events, uh, so many different possibilities for this craziness, and I'm jealous that you called games for the Charleston Charlies. I didn't know that. Um, you probably know this, but a couple of years after you, one of the longest home runs ever was hit there. Randy Bush of Toledo was playing at Charleston, West Virginia in 1982, and he hit a 200-mile home run. Hit a train. His home run landed in a landed in a moving train, which kept on going across West Virginia. Oh, wait a minute, because I, I was going to ask you about that. I, I was looking on Amazon where you can find your book, again, the, the title of which is uh, 
Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. I saw that um, you have it. It's in the. It's on the the, the Amazon page. It said uh, one of the stories includes a a, um, a a train conductor catching a ball, and and I didn't never. I never thought that. Hey, that might have been Charleston because I did the games there, and um, there was a train that ran behind right field. And uh, exactly, um, I, I should say we we have two train stories. Uh, Randy Bush's home run landed in the coal section of this moving train but you're right in 1912 that was in louisville kentucky an actual conductor stuck his hand out the window and caught a foul ball okay this was two different stories and so a conductor caught a foul ball (laughs) yes and the fans were cheering this train was going 45 miles an hour but he caught it and then threw it back on the field nice now that's a nice touch to be able to get it back on the field after that (laughs) that's uh and and what about um uh like uh, umpire stories. Yes, I have a wild one from Pennsylvania. Uh, this was a time in the early 1900s that umpires were not treated well. And mm-hmm. in the 1940s in Mahoney, Mahoney City, sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Um, it's down near Reading, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't but know. There was this umpire, yeah, Patrick Shaner, mm-hmm. and a group of fans were so upset with him that they lifted him up and threw him over the outfield fence. <laughs> And the game gets delayed because they have no umpire. At this time, there's only one umpire on the field. Until Shaner, that umpire, walked through the front gate, went behind home plate, and yelled, play ball. They threw this guy out of the park, and he wanted to go back in and finish the game. That's tremendous. Well, uh, when I was doing the games in um, at two of the three leagues I worked in, they only had two umpires. I don't know what they do now, but there was a home plate umpire and an umpire on the bases, and that was it. I don't know if they still right. do that now. At the AAA level, there now are three or four, mm-hmm. but in the lower levels, it still is just two, um, which, yeah, that leaves a lot of responsibility for that base umpire. Yeah, and the umpire, but the home plate umpire sometimes goes out and calls balls and strikes from behind the pitcher, doesn't he? I've never seen that anymore. That's interesting. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. They used to they used to stand behind the pitcher. I don't know if it was because there were men on base or what the deal was, but I think they went behind the pitcher. Um, and I saw some great, um, great issues with the uh, with the umpires, with the managers doing things that they could never even think about doing in the big leagues. But uh, you know, showing up umpires, uh, you know, putting a, a foot of dirt on home plate and then walking away right. so that the umpire has to come out and you know dust it off, and all the fans can get on, get on them. That kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a great story, 1987 in Columbia, South Carolina. Butch Hobson, who went on to manage in the major leagues, yeah. he got so upset that after a call went against his team at first base, he gets ejected, he picks up first base, and walks it into the dugout and into the clubhouse. <laughs> but at the single-A level, those are the only bases. Yeah, right. This is not like Lloyd McClendon of the Pirates when he did it, when you can just find a replacement base. Right. So they, they came in and they said, Butch, we need that base. So he grabbed this nearby can of orange spray paint, spray painted it bright orange, ran back on the field, stuffed it in the ground, and said, there, now the base is brighter. Maybe you can see it now. Oh, that's tremendous. And, and, and the umpires, oh, and that's the other thing. I don't know how many stories you have about umpires, but I felt so bad for those guys. They made no money. They left their families in spring training in February, and they lived together. The two guys would, uh, two or three, uh, which I, or the links that I was working in, and they spent the entire summer living in motels and tra- you know driving in their cars between El Paso and San Antonio, Texas, and uh, and you know just that's all they did. They and they got no money. And what were their chances of making it to the big leagues? You know, how many make exactly? It? Yeah, the the umpire might even have longer odds than the players. Oh yeah, to get to the major leagues. And and what you're describing is still the case. There's no home games for umpires. No, that's Their what I mean. The entire season is a road trip. Um, so you're absolutely right. It's rigorous conditions. And they were married, and, and, and their wives had to say goodbye to them in February and hope that they could hook up with them somewhere on the road, you know, in a motel somewhere, um, because they weren't come. there was no home games. You're right. Uh, exactly. you got a catcher who was hit by lightning, I believe. Yes, Jim Martin. He was playing uh, for the Pampa Oilers and was struck by lightning, and so severely that his catcher's helmet went flying <laughs> off of his head and went 20 feet away from the pitcher's mound. And 
he played the next night. Now that's that's uh, that's that's rubbing dirt on it and getting back in the game. Exactly, exactly. That's right. tremendous. Um, and, uh, did you come across, by the way, a story um, about the Texas League being uh, um, decided by a tug of war? No, I'm intrigued. This one you can look into for future reference. Uh, the Lafayette Drillers. I was doing the games for them, and it was uh, Bobby Bregan was the president of the Texas League, and he was kind of a maniac. He got thrown out of a game here in Pittsburgh for bringing orange juice out to the umpire during the game after the umpire was giving him, you know, he didn't like his calls. He came out and offered him some orange juice, either before or after he got ejected. I forget which. But they had rain. They they had like three days of rain at the end of the season, and the field was just total slop and mud, and they kept postponing the game. And finally he said, okay, we can't do this anymore. He had the two teams line up, uh, the Texas, uh, the, the Midland Cubs and the Lafayette Drillers, and they had a tug of war to see who win the won the Texas League, and I believe I believe Lafayette won because I got a ring. So um, that you know, and that, wow. again, that's that's just me. I got I got you know from three three years of doing it, I have stories like that. You looked into one. You have one thousand and one. Could you have done two thousand and one? Yes, my research compiled eleven hundred stories when I reached the point of okay, what do I want to do with this? And I walked by one of my wife's cookbooks, and it said 1,000 recipes. And I thought, 1,001, that's the number. Yeah. And so that- I actually would, yeah, I'd trim down stories. And if two were similar, I'd merge them. For example, there's a story in 1907, an umpire was arrested for using profane language at the ballpark. And then in the 1930s, a player was arrested for using foul language at the ballpark. And by the way, arrested, not ejected. These guys actually were brought into police custody for saying a bad word. So in that case, I made that one story instead of two. Yeah. And can you, I don't want you to give away the whole book. And again, the book is Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball. Before I get to that, though, I want to ask you, uh, I'm going to ask you what your favorite story is, but uh, crazy promotions. The minor leagues were known for the promotions they would have. I love the one in 2005. The Brevard County Manatees in Florida decided they want to set a world record for most ceremonial first pitches. So they opened up the ballpark early. They invited all of their fans. They had radio advertisements going so people would drive off the highway, stop by the ballpark, throw a first pitch, and then go back on their way. And by the end of the day, they had more than 4,200 first pitches, still the world record. Um, so I, I loved when teams, when it came to the promotions, trying to set a record. The team in Winnipeg, for example, still holds the record for most people brushing their teeth at the same time. <laughs> uh, that's tremendous. Well, so what? Give me your uh, give me your favorite story, and not, don't give me all of it. So people have to buy the book to, to read the whole thing. Thank you. Yeah, there's plenty of stories in the book, uh, well beyond what we've covered today. But yeah. my favorite um, is probably the one that took me the longest to track down the details. In 1978, there was a double-A Eastern League game. Bristol is at Jersey City, and there were some big names in this game. Wade Boggs is playing for Bristol, Ricky Henderson for Jersey City. And there was a fly ball that disappeared. A right-handed batter hit a high fly ball to right field. It did not go over the fence. It did not land in the stands. It did not land on the field. Everybody was just puzzled what happened to this fly ball. And I know this sounds crazy, but I spoke to an employee at the ballpark. I spoke to a fan who was there and players on the field and the umpires didn't know what to do. Obviously there's no rule if a ball disappears. So they decided to give the batter a double. (laughs) So they never found the ball. Never did. So to me, that was my favorite one because it just, it's weird. It's easy to understand. It's funny. There's some big names involved. I think that's one story that has has it all. Well, it sounds like a great book for people to read, and it's not something that you have to read from page one to the end. You just pick a, you know, open it up somewhere, and you'll find a story, right? Right, yeah. These stories are just about a paragraph or less. Yeah. Well, I'm out of time, Tim. Really, uh, great idea, great book. Uh, good luck with it. Thank you, John. Okay. That's Tim Haggerty. The book is Tales from the Dugout. 1,001 humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball. We'll be right back.
If you have an IRA or 401k, please listen closely. My name is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and New York Times bestselling author. Throughout my career, let's just say I've been in some hairy situations. And I believe right now the biggest threat facing Americans is they need to protect their wealth, which is exactly what I'm doing for my wife and six kids. And I believe the ultimate safe haven is physical gold and silver. You can protect your hard-earned retirement assets with a tax-free loophole that allows you to convert your retirement into physical gold and silver. The folks I use are Advantage Gold, and believe me, I've investigated the heck out of all types of people. Advantage Gold is the nation's highest rated gold company. They have the best process, pricing, and service. If you want to get your free gold and silver investment kit, please contact Advantage Gold right now, and you'll see how easy it is to protect yourself with precious metals. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900-8000. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. I like talking to him about those minor league stories. I hope you were entertained by them. Um, and I, I, think, I really think you'd find some really funny stuff in that book just based on what, you know, what he said here on the radio. And just the fact that I know that, uh, that the minor leagues are just full of stories like that. We have a minor league team right up the road here in Altoona with a beautiful ballpark. Uh, if, if baseball were not dead to me, which it is because of what Major League Baseball has done to the Pirates, I would, I would go back today and do minor league baseball and love every minute of it. Um, but, you know, baseball is, it just isn't, it ain't what it used to be. Um, and, and I'll tell you, my favorite, we, we rode a lot of buses. And I rode, I rode a bus, 20-hour bus ride. After the game was over, and I think it was uh, Little Rock, Alexandria, Louisiana, to El Paso, Texas, we had to take a bus. And the manager was a guy named Denny Summers, who became a a uh, coach in the big leagues with the Giants. This was a Giants Double A team. He would drive the bus every once in a while, give the bus driver a you know a break. And if the team lost the game, he wasn't happy. And I w- I would stand in the front of the bus at two o'clock in the morning, traveling somewhere through the Southwest. And Denny Summers would be chomping on a cigar, and we'd be going 80 miles an hour in this bus because he was mad because we lost the last game of the series. And I was standing up there only for the purpose of if, just in case he fell asleep, I could wake him up. I loved it, though. Every single minute of it. The John Steckerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the Yellow Van. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.